It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello there, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Wicken, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. JD, will there be learning? Mm-hmm. Will there be science? Mm-hmm. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Yeah. <laughs> what was that second <laughs> note? <laughs> Those Baxter Boys. Am I original? Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Without the context, I thought you were like trying to go for another note and missed. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Sorry. Rude. If there's one thing you should know about me at this point in my life, it's I'm done trying. Oh, I thought you were going to say you never miss. I know. <laughs> that, that was the setup. And then I just was like, no, I'm just done trying. <laughs> It's always the Backstreet Boys. It's always the Backstreet Boys. Uh, my uh, middle school and, and early high school girlfriend, uh, sh- she actually listens to the podcast. Shout out, Lauren. Uh, her uh, AIM name was BSB's Butterfly, Backstreet Boys's Butterfly. That's so cute. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Did you have uh, a favorite between Backstreet Boys and NSYNC? Like, were you on one team? You know, I really wasn't uh, huge into the boy band craze. I know a lot huh. of like people had their like gay awakenings in that, <laughs> and I wasn't overly like so 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 into them. Yeah. Um. I mean, listen, was I deeply into Britney Spears music? Like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, um. Do you know my gay my gay my my gayest bit? I almost said my gay ass. <laughs> <laughs> my gay ass was listening to uh, Savage Garden. Okay. Anytime I need to see your face, I just close my eyes and I am taken to a place where you're crystal. Yeah, a little, little thing, like. Take a shelter in the base of my spine, so like a chicka cherry cola. <laughs> a little like emo <laughs> gay. I guess. And then the lead singer of that came out as gay later. I mean, that, that tracks. I. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Who was your fa- fave? I was Team Backstreet Boys, but I. That's not to say. Like, I bought all of both of their albums like i had every single like there was no canon from purchasing power perspective i was just the dream but i uh i was more into the backstreet boys because i thought they had more equitable distribution of like uh vocals vocals. yeah Um, because each of them would sing at least a little bit 
in each song. And it was like more, you, so you feel like NSYNC was more Justin forward. Justin and JC. JC, yeah, Justin That's and it. JC. End JC of Chasse. list. That is, yeah. And I was like, that's yeah. not fair to Lance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, JC Chasse wrote a song when he tried to go solo in around like 2003, 2004 that I was obsessed with called um, Some Girls Dance With Women. Oh my and gosh, I the, know that song. The chorus is like, some girls dance with women knowing it'll get some attention. <laughs> I want to get in with them, so pass me a drink and let's go. Yeah, that's and so problematic. I just remembered, yeah, how horribly um, uh, forceful that, like that is uh, rape culture. Yeah. Like, guess what? Uh, women dancing with women doesn't have to be no, it's, for your it's about edification, yeah. J.C. Chasse. Yeah, it's about him. Yeah, it's not about you. Well, who actually wrote that song? Because I'm sure he did not. Rude. Uh, wow. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore opinions coming from Dr. Joanna Whitkin. That's not, come on. That's not I mean, a listen, hot take. The good news is we've got a special guest on the pod this week, and it's JC <laughs> Can you imagine? I would die. I would die. Did I hallucinate this? I don't know. I maybe invented this. This is a dream that you had. This is a dream. You know what, Joanna? Having I a was podcast there too. with you is the dream. <laughs> That's the real dream. Uh, we do have a special guest this yes, week. Yes, we do. Uh, I am very excited. So normally, as y'all know, uh, Joanna and I trade off on who picks the movie. Uh, and last week was my pick. Um, this week, uh, the pick has been provided to me from our incredible special guest host, uh, so we have uh, Brandon Kyle Goodman, who y'all may know from uh, Big Mouth. Human Resources. You may know them from Human Resources so uh, as a writer and activist. Um, I'll give them a full introduction when we are done with this mm-hmm. uh, and when we get into when they're here in the studio with us um, after the break. But so we're going to do the guessing where I've already got the movie. It's been chosen for me. And uh, we're going to dig in. So... Um, do you have any guesses? Do you want to just guess without even any? Just a uh, random. Just, just go for it. No. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'll tell you then. Yeah, give me some hints. Um, all right. So, the film is from 1981. Okay. Uh, the tagline is "The meanest mother of them all." Is it Annie? No. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, another tagline there's many okay. this is a film that has been uh, talked about it is canon in uh, the gay community um, the next is uh, one thing is certain you'll never look at a wire hanger the same way again oh my goodness is it Rocky Horror no Okay. the last one that I will give you to my darling Christina, with love, mommy dearest. I have no idea. I'm so embarrassed. It's mommy dearest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just the name of the movie. Mommy dearest. Yes. So do you know no. the story of this film at all? No. So this film is essentially the story of the life of 
uh, Joan Crawford, um, uh, as told sort of through okay. the eyes of her daughter, gotcha. played by Faye Dunaway. Okay. So this is a film that was panned critically, but held onto tightly, firmly, securely by the gay community. Incredible. It is. Um, I've never seen it. I have never heard of it, let alone All see right. it. Yeah. Well, get ready for some gay education. I can't wait. Um, it is a, a heightened, uh, a very sort of heightened, um, larger than life sort of portrayal of a famous, you know, movie star, Joan Crawford, mm-hmm. um, where Faye Dunaway plays Joan Crawford. Wild. Uh, it's a big deal. This film, I'm so excited it- to share it with you to open up some real gayness. I'm going to learn your- so much. You're going to learn so much. It's going to be gorgeous. And we will be back with Brandon Kyle Goodman after the break. See you soon. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we, we are, are back. back with the one, the only, Brandon <gasps> Kyle Goodman. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you here. Yes. Holy shit, you picked this movie. This is a did. pick. Neither of us had ever seen this. That's wild. Not even the ones. Oh, I pressed something. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Things music. get pressed. No, that's fine. Um, you've never seen it. Never. You've heard of it. Ever. I don't know that it. I've even heard of heard it. Heard of it? Of course. I mean, it is gay canon. I you don't know that I have. Yeah, I will Joanna, say, we always do like a guessing yeah. thing. And Joanna, it's like the only time that she, I like gave her the answer and she was like, dot, dot, dot. So what yeah. is it? It was a full ellipsis. I will say that the way. Yeah, you'll see the transcript The way later. I think about Joan Crawford in my head when I picture her, it is Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. So it did sneak oh, in. Oh, there we go. I think of Alyssa Edwards on season on season two of All Stars <laughs> in yes. Snatch Game. Fair, these are fair. That these is where fair. I got the don't fuck with me, fellas. Yes, yes. Oh, you think you're clever? I've don't definitely you? Yes. heard that before this, too. Like all those iconic yeah. lines, the wire hanger. You've heard wire hangers. No though. wire hangers ever. Yeah. I grew up with my mom like hated wire hangers. I to this day do not have wire hangers. I didn't understand that it probably came from this movie. I mean, they are, they <laughs> like, do damage your clothing. They yeah. do, they do. But like, there was like a, you know, it's like a really iconic, like, no more wire hangers in this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie was tough to It was not fun. Watch. It was not a good yeah. time. It was a rough, <laughs> a rough 
It was roof stoof <laughs> to get through. I will say. And yet I want the audience to watch it, but it is trigger warning. Trigger warning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So. And let's let's give the audience just a little bit of, of, of background on this. So this is uh, Faye Dunaway, 1981, portraying Joan Crawford as described in the book Mommy Dearest by Christina and Christopher mm-hmm. Crawford, her two her first two adopted yes. children. So I want to give this four. caveat because we we generally on this podcast. Uh, it's dangerous, especially with somebody who is a licensed clinical psychologist, to start throwing around things like diagnostic terms when it comes to real people. So what I want to give the caveat in here is uh, this this narrative is actually largely disputed. So there are two other Crawford yes. children that have said that this is not There's true. There's even a lawsuit, That are not included in the story. There was a lawsuit. Oh, wow. Also, many, many friends of Joan Crawford also came forward to say, we were around for a lot of the time that's being described here and never saw... Any this, of this behavior. This there were a couple behavior. people who did corroborate, though. But yeah, right. Oh, absolutely. So what I, what I, and also Joan Crawford died uh, just before this book was written. Wasn't that? Yeah. I mean, it made it sound yes. like that was the impetus for the book was they were cut out of the well. I mean, the way yes. the film, the yeah. way the film, the really way it finishes. ends. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and so, I, what I want to say is this is not grandstanding in terms of like, oh, we don't believe people who claim abuse. That is not what mm-hmm. I'm saying here. But what I am saying is sort of using this sort of non uh, consensus of Joan Crawford, we're going to talk about the Joan Crawford that is the character that is depicted by Faye Dunaway in this. None of us know uh, Joan Crawford. None of us were alive when she was alive. I have not read any other biographies of Joan Crawford. So the only thing we're going to go off of is the character depiction in this film as by Faye Dunaway. So please do not see this as any of us saying anything about the specificity of the real Joan Crawford's mental health. We're talking about the character depiction as directed, as written, as screenwritten, as all of the things. Beautiful. I love the caveat. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really important because, again, I'm not treating this person. None of us have seen this person in real life. Like it is, And it's very easy for people to want to go in and be like, ooh, what's the diagnosis? What do you think? When it's like... I don't know, until this person explains to me something about yeah. their experience, it's deeply unethical to claim anything diagnostically. Yeah. Sure. Um, that. But that being said, woof is I this I know, and certainly thing things into. jumped out as... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. many things jumped out. So let's synopsify yeah. this real quick. We're going to do this very quickly so we can get into the conversation. So, Joanna, what the hell happened in this uh, movie? So we open on uh, Joan Crawford... She is wanting a baby. She ends up... Famous movie star, yep, Joan she's Crawford. she's like at the peak of her career. And she she wants 30s. a baby, but she's been twice divorced. So uh, adoption right. agencies have kind of denied her application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She has uh, this boyfriend, this lover, who is a... Kind of the original like celebrity adoption when yeah, you think about it. Um, like... Celebrities got real into that in the oh, 2000s. Yes. And this was like, maybe they're all Joan Crawford. <laughs> she started it. Um, but yeah, yeah, so then she, through him, I guess, like gets uh, a baby. Like is given yeah, a is baby. Given a baby. It's a whole thing. She's very happy about it. Um, and then you see kind of cut to when uh, Christina, the child, is like four or something. Four. Um, and like her there's a second birthday. adopted baby, Christopher. Um, and yeah, she, it's her birthday party. You see, basically, um, Joan is doing a lot of like she's loving towards Christina, but there's 
paparazzi there, you know, a lot of... There's a lot of photo yeah. opportunities. The studios really have needs and wants for, like, what needs to be portrayed mm-hmm. and depicted. And this four-year-old is seemingly going she along is, pretty yeah, well. Yeah, she's doing great. With, like, the plans. Um, there's also yeah. some early evidence of, like, she's only allowed to keep one gift. And so her, like, insistence right. that... You know, they're not spoiled. And also, um, you know, you get some insight into Joan Crawford not having an easy upbringing and having to do things on her own and wanting her children to also, like, have all the opportunities but also work hard and, like, be winners, basically, and not be quitters because there's that right. swimming scene right. where she's, like, pushing her daughter to, yeah, racing like, racing her. her. Yeah. Um, and then you start to see when um, Christina kind of acts out how Joan handles it, which is poorly, um, locks her locks yeah, her in a closet. Great. Not a good like, look. Like, all of these. I mean, it's basically like, a, like just back-to-back examples of child abuse <laughs> over the years. And oh, yeah. It's... It's yeah, not and good. a woman who is very unstable mood-wise and kind of ups and downs and can be very loving one minute and then really unpredictable the next. And, I mean, I, I like, I don't even remember all of the examples in chronological order because it kind of just, like... Yeah, the sequence of events, it's just a number of, like, of like just abuse narratives mm-hmm. where you just get to see, like... Oh, okay. This is her being abusive to this child at right. this age. This is her being abusive to this child. So one of the first abuses is when the when she, after they race and she throws a fit and she gets locked in like the closet, the, the yeah, the pool or whatever, yeah. the closet at the pool. Um, in another one, uh, she refuses to eat Steak. her undercooked yeah. meat, and they uh, and she continues to sort of try to push against her. Although in this one, it seems like Christina kind of comes out on top yeah. and manages to not. But there's a the deep meat. resentment. Uh, but Joan is very yeah. angry. Oh, there's a deep. And there is a lot of like, like you, she does not eat. She's not allowed to eat essentially until this, this undercooked meat is, uh, is eaten. And, so, and eventually she sort of laments in another, um, she catches Christina uh, giving a fake like Oscar yeah, at, speech at her in vanity. the mirror and yeah. thinks she's, at her vanity and thinks she's making mm-hmm. fun of her and then cuts off all her yeah, hair. Yeah, oh my gosh. And then in another one... With the dolls. Um, she catches her scolding her doll. Really just like uh, like and so reiterating what her mother... Yeah, what her mom does, which is so very uh, developmentally totally, totally for yeah. a little girl to be like, let me try to pretend yeah. to be mom. Totally normal. And it just so happens that her mom was like, a nightmare mm-hmm. human so sometimes she would like pretend to be a nightmare human and so she calls her dolls like selfish spoiled little like whatevers and so th- she then goes and takes a shower or goes for a swim and comes back and her dolls mm-hmm. are gone and she goes to her mother and Joan Crawford says to her or she's like my someone took my babies and she says yes well they were spoiled and selfish so lucky you that they're gone <laughs> they and won't just kind of bother like, uh, you anymore yeah and this sort of culminates to a point where she then, uh, the little girl who's making drinks for like adult mm-hmm. men who are visiting Joan yeah. Crawford. Uh, she also won an Oscar in the middle of this. But anyways, she there's like adult men coming and she sort of watches her mom getting fondled by a dude. And then her mom just like quietly like ushers her out of the room. And then the next scene, she's driving her to boarding yeah, school. Like cramping her style. Oh, we also missed the no wire hangers scene, which was uh, where Joan comes in in the middle of the night to check on the sleeping children. And um, in that, she um, she finds a wire hanger. And essentially, and again, trigger warning, y'all, this is mm-hmm. abuse. 
uh, hits her with the wire hanger, then goes into the bathroom and says the floor isn't clean and throws like bleach powder all over. And, you know, the little boy goes to get up and like, um, and is like offers to help. And she's like, no, I have to do it if she catches you. Um, so strap yourself back in. He's wearing yeah, a harness they don't that really, clips him they into don't really that bed. Talk about that. <laughs> of, for a second, are. like, did it not look like he was coming from just like Folsom Street Fair? How <laughs> dare you, <laughs> like uh, little boy Folsom Street Fair? I assumed Fair. there was like some kind of spinal something. I don't know why he had the harness actually. But can I say why I picked this? Oh movie? yeah, because oh, I know we're talking a lot about the abuse of it all. But I picked it because um, it's such a Joan Crawford and Faye Dunaway, Faye Dunaway's. Um, uh, portrayal of it is so iconic inside of the gay community hugely um like there's a lot of you know uh reenactments of the wire hanger scenes and so my introduction to it was as camp mm-hmm. right like right. as like a campy introduction no real talk about like child abuse or whatever it was just kind of like this dramatic movie actress yeah. who hates wire hangers and so i watched the movie for the first time when i was like 18 or 19 as a freshman in college studying drama so it was like we should watch this movie and still like none of it really registered. Like we were downloading this movie as like a really dramatic Mm -hmm. actress, not thinking about the child abuse, not thinking about the mental health of it all. And then obviously in the last year or two years, we're really reexamining a lot of these things that happened in the nineties. Britney Spears is a really Mm -hmm. big example. Oh yeah. Like all these documentaries that are coming out being like, remember how we actually really fucked that up? Janet Jackson, all these things where we're like, remember how actually that thing happened and we, thought it was like cool or funny or whatever but actually mm-hmm. it isn't so that's actually what made me want to watch this movie again because i was like oh i wonder like what like as 35 with all this new language around mental health how would i receive this movie and then i watched it, i was like oh my god this woman yes child abuse but also like did she have the access to uh, the language to talk about like maybe she had something that's undiagnosed oh yeah. absolutely and so like that was what was really fascinating to me was it like oh this thing has become this iconic kind of like thing that we laugh about or joke about or uh, sensationalize but then I'm like but there is a lot of like mental health stuff that just wasn't we didn't have language for and how it sucks that this girl Christina and Chris and those kids in the movie, right? Like, I don't know what happened in real life are also didn't have right. language. And so what do you do with that? And how do we, um, learn from that? I mm-hmm. guess in 2022, um, that's what was really fascinating to me about this movie is like, Oh, all the, like what I didn't know and now what I know and how I'm seeing it through this lens. That oh yeah. yeah. It makes total sense. Well, and we're looking at the thing that everybody wants, which is like behind the curtain access to celebrity. Mm-hmm. Which is why it was probably really popular, right? Because oh. it's like we love like the Kardashians. Well it was we actually this movie that. was actually panned. Oh, oh yeah. This movie was critically just ripped apart. Oh, it was my actually goodness. it won no the idea. Razzie for worst picture of the year. Wasn't Holy it because shit. it was so yeah. like melodramatic? Like because it was so camp? It was because it was so melodramatic, which I gotta say, like watching it, honestly I don't even know that I'd like call it camp. It was just like very I agree. intense. It was I really agree. intense. Yeah. There, I actually felt no silliness, no yeah. winkiness. Um, I also don't think it's that. Oh, bad I thought it was movie. the, the portrayal. Like Faye Dunaway did an incredible job. I thought I she thought was incredible. She, I thought the performances yeah. were really good. I thought it was entertaining. I was like, why? I was I was actually surprised at like because sometimes you watch older movies and you're like, oh, my attention right. span does not. Right, the pacing is different and all but those things. But this felt like, as a, just as a story, obviously not like what happened to Christina and Chris, but just as a story, it was like, oh, this is an entertaining Oh, yeah, there's a lot movie. happening. Like, I can watch, yeah, 
yeah, and the performances are mm-hmm. good, and I and I didn't feel like anyone was making light of this. Like I didn't feel the actors were making light of the yeah. situation. I felt like they were like, let's dive into the. Oh, performance absolutely. Of it. Like, and what's interesting is that because she is the film star, the queen of Hollywood in all of these ways. A of all, we're already kind of on her side because people are fans, right? Yeah. Like people are already a fan of hers. But B of all, it is not I don't actually think she is portrayed as an evil woman. She is portrayed as a woman who is un Well, I mean, even to to yes. your point, Brandon, like this is this came out in a time where we didn't have the language to talk about what was going right. on with this woman. And if this was true people didn't want to know that or they wanted to write her off as someone who is unwell or crazy or whatever and so i think maybe audiences couldn't really handle it and just could only see it as like over the top you know for sure and i also think it's interesting that y'all are using unwell because i bet like people weren't even thinking about it as she's Mm -hmm. unwell I think people thought of it as like she's dramatic or she's like an actress or she's like mean or evil or whatever, but not that like, oh, you're not, you're actually right. not well. And, or at least for me, at least at like at 35 watching it, then I went, oh, you're not right. well. But when I watched it at 18, I definitely wasn't thinking, oh, she's unwell. I was thinking, oh, wow, like she's, she's a mm-hmm. mean mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like that like, meme where it's like, where it's like woman like does something completely unhinged and then it was like gays honestly work. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's like, it's kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't, I didn't ever take into consideration the mental health of it until, you know, recently and watching it. It's like, oh wow, there's a lot happening. And can you like have empathy for both parties, right? Like obviously can we have empathy for Christina and Chris, but is there room to have empathy for this character of Joan Crawford as well to be like, I, like I, what is going on? And, and is it her fault? Quote unquote, right? Like, I think there's a whole, like, it's your fault, but like maybe, there's I don't and I don't know if this is y'all y'all tell me this but like is it her fault or like is it something that's un- undiagnosed that might have made her a better parent or whatever also like when you add aging to it when you add fame to it when you add Hollywood to it um, I think that also complicates it like her being a public figure like could she ever actually get the help because it's just a different life that she's existing in as a woman, as a woman in Hollywood, as an older woman in Hollywood. Plus if there's something undiagnosed and she has kids, there's a lot of nuances that I feel like I just wasn't considering. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was, it's intergenerational trauma to me, something like Joan Crawford in this movie even. And I did do a little bit of like Wikipedia after, even though we're not supposed to. Yeah, me but too. Like, I deeply wicked. <laughs> but even like in the movie, there's a lot of alluding to the difficulty of her childhood. And so like when you talk yeah. about, is it her fault? Is it not her fault? It's kind of like yes and no, because she is perpetuating the, the internet intergenerational trauma and not like quote unquote breaking the cycle. But she's also a victim yes. of, of that trauma as well. Yeah. Right. Well, and this goes back to that thing that we've sort of talked about in in a few different contexts where it's like, okay, um, and we're going to get to some like diagnostic thoughts Mm -hmm. and and all of that. But like her, you know, let's say she is reacting this way because of her childhood. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, Joan, it is not your fault, but it is your burden that you must bear. And therefore, you need to be responsible for the fallout in different ways. It is not your fault that this is something you have to deal with. But it is something that you 
have right. to deal with. But what's fascinating about that, and my husband and I have been talking about this, about like our parents' generation and their parents, is that they didn't have language. To they even didn't have resources. They didn't parents. have, I mean, yeah. There's no resources to like, yeah, it's like you're just like repeating something. Like our generation has the resources to go, oh, it's my burden to break this cycle. And I think a lot of, I don't know about y'all, but like I feel like a lot of my friends are like the first ones to go to therapy. Totally. Yeah. The first ones totally. to really yeah. start having conversations about like, what is this thing that happened to me and what happened to my parents and how mm-hmm. is it impacting me now? But Joan wasn't having no. that. Christina wasn't no. having that. Like, well, that. like they didn't know that like, oh, this is your trauma. This is your, this is coming from right. your childhood. Break it. Like, so then again, you go like, I don't know how to, I don't know if they could have done better if they're, if that just wasn't part of the cultural conversation. Well, what's interesting as well within the context of this being like her burden or the or the the thing that she needs treatment for is she's also one of the most famous people in the world. So yeah. there's this also this like weird volatility of affection of of this idea that like especially at this time right like stars have it all where she like you know you, you're she's supposed to be uh, at peak level of functioning mm-hmm. because she is so famous and so I do think that there's also like a real dynamic of like okay, as her career starts to wane and she starts to feel less love, she's like, what should I get? OMG, a baby. Let's get something that will love me unconditionally. And so then whenever Christina kind of... But also give her press. uh, I mean, she wasn't mad about the press. (laughs) Um, uh, But Christina really, like anytime Christina would not provide unconditional love in return, it would fracture this yes. like and yes. it would splinter and that is where she would become Joan would become so reactive and abusive yeah. and harmful where I think she really was I mean I would assume the character as we see it portrayed really is looking for love yeah. mm-hmm. always looking for love and really she trains I mean very uh, the title of the film is Mommy Dearest because she she sort of teaches Christina to refer to her as Mommy Dearest as, and she has to mean it <laughs> Which I yeah. think that whole part about yes. like, well, I want you to say that and I want you to mean it. Ew, yes. When the wire hangers, when she does. Oh, my God. But also yeah. like more than love. I think she's looking for control. Like everything oh. is because also like, again, in terms of empathy. And when I say empathy, what I don't want to uh, infer is like I'm not excusing any of the behavior. But because we're there's some distance between me and who this person is or who this whatever. It's like, can I see the empathy? And she grew up in a studio system. She's a woman in this time in a studio system it's like what are the things like she just didn't have a shot like I really well she didn't become famous until she was actually like in her like 20s 30s she wasn't like a child actor sure but like she's in this she's still yeah. in a studio system she's in like she's a you are owned you're owned by this by, contract yeah you're beholden yeah. to this thing very like, you have to do the work like she had like that scene where she goes to dinner and he's like I insist that you sit down I insist yeah. <laughs> so she's like yeah. oh I have to sit down because you're the president of the studio I can't do what I originally intended so all of this like she's being controlled and so you see her trying to get control and I think that became the abuse right like controlling yeah. Greg controlling Christina controlling the house controlling how clean it is control you know like yes. all like because yes. she is such a prisoner to this this lifestyle as well come on ideological mm-hmm. explanation come for her mental real. health come through I've <laughs> been through some things I've been through some trauma biopsychosocial <laughs> model <laughs> dot com um, yes no and so um, let's let's uh, close out this plot real quick uh christina gets sent to boarding school christina grows up it doesn't go great christina uh kisses a boy 
Uh, and Joan Crawford has her kicked out of school for kissing a boy. Christina is then sent to a furious. convent. Oh, wait. Then she yeah. chokes her out. Oh, almost yeah. mm-hmm. kills her. Joan almost yeah. kills Christina. Then sends her to a convent where the convent is like, your mother has told us you are willful and insubordinate. And yeah, so pray we are going to like, total lock and key. Yeah. Then the craziest things happen where Christina becomes an actor and is on a soap opera and has an ovarian tumor. And when she is in the hospital for this ovarian tumor, Joan plays her on TV. A 28-year-old. Joan, who is in her 60s, is playing this 28-year-old poorly. Um, And then uh, Joan has, at this point, already remarried the the CEO of Pepsi-Cola. And Mm -hmm. he dies. Fuck with me, fellas. She then fights back (laughs) against the board. Don't fuck with me, fellas. And they decide to sort of float her financially in some ways that I'm shocked worked. And then she dies. Uh, Although right before she dies, Christina gives a speech uh, like a lifetime achievement some, thing, yeah, and gives a speech and award. really addresses to her mother. Very um, similar to when she was a kid giving speeches with the dolls. Yes, very, very similar correlation. Mm-hmm. Very similar. And then uh, Joan dies, and then Christina and Christopher find out they aren't in the will. And so Christina is going to get back at her by writing a book, and, and that the movie book. is based on the book. And she called it Mommy Dearest, <laughs> on account of that's what Joan made her call her. The end. It's the actually end. quite impressive how, because it really spans the life of Christina, like from a kid to yes. this adult. Yes. Um, and it's impressive how much, from a writing standpoint, from a movie standpoint, how much they fit in. And it's a two hour movie, right? It's only like two it's hours. Two hours, mm-hmm. yeah. A little less. Two hours. Like yeah. how much they cover, how much happens. Yeah. How many iconic moments that are still in pop culture that yeah. are actually in this movie. Um, it's really quite impressive from just like a writing standpoint not from like a <laughs> what happened between Jim and the kids and and it is yeah oh, Christopher is barely in it yes barely yeah I mean I think too from like this is from Christina's perspective as a real person this movie is all of the lows like it's yes. pretty much nothing else oh, which yeah. makes sense from like a memory standpoint is yeah. what will be salient what will be like encoded and like uh, in her memory, the strongest are these low lows. So it, it makes book. sense. Right. It makes sense that the book would just be those because that's mm-hmm. probably the extent of her yeah. like, strongest memories. There's actually a lot of um, if you go on Christina Crawford's IMDb page, because I did look into this uh, soap opera thing and everything like that. Uh, well, that is true, right? There's so many. It is true. It is true. And there's so many pictures uh, of her as a child with her mom, like studio photos that are like, mm. yeah, this whole thing. But it's usually, it's a lot of pictures with like all four of them, actually. All four oh, of the interesting. kids. Yeah, the show would be, like, the thing that's funny is like, it would be difficult to have Joan as a, or in this movie, have that parent without a studio, without the fame. Like, clearly, this didn't begin when she got Christina. Like, there's, Oh yeah! Before Christina, like the first scene before Christina is even introduces an uh, a concept of like adopting a child, uh, she's has somebody clean the house. And yeah, Jim checks it and like moves the pot and is really upset that it's not clean under the pot. So you see this like I'm control. not mad at you. I'm, I'm mad, mad at, at the dirt. dirt. I'm mad at the dirt. But you see that yeah. control already kind of existing even right. before the kids are involved. So you're like even without the kid, like this would be difficult without fame and fortune, like to add that to it, to add the yeah. scrutiny, to add aging to it, to add being a woman to it. Like, yeah. It's just like, 
I just feel bad for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a, and to add again, a time where there's not language to really understand what anyone is experiencing, how isolating that must be. I mean, even like that scene after wire hangers where Christina's on the floor and she says, Jesus Christ, you'll really feel that. Cause it is, it's like, yeah, Jesus Christ. Like what else? Yeah. Like n- nobody is winning in this situation. Nobody. And, there's, and yeah. there's not a clear way out. Like there's not, no. a, there's, there's, there's no light. And imagine really. being that kid and everywhere you go being like, Oh my God, your mom's Joan Crawford. Yes. She's so amazing. Right. Yes. And being like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Also the balance of perception no and no notes, the balance of perception and like what, and I have everything that I need as a kid. Like I have all the things that I want, but also, so like people go, well, you're fine. You're rich. But then it's like, I'm also experiencing this deep abuse and there's no space for anyone to acknowledge or honor that. Even right. If they're seeing it like everybody lost. Yeah. Everybody. Just lost. because you have access yeah. to means does not make it or access to fame does not mean, or, or glamor does not make your life glamorous. Right. Does not make your life easy. Mm-hmm. And I do think like, I do love that sort of idea that like, money you know and fame don't fix no. who you are they magnify it yes and so like right. i do think like i would imagine that like joan without this sort of hyperbolic level of validation in so many ways without being able to build a world where everyone must obey her in such a way she maybe wouldn't have like she would have hypothetically been exposed to the discomfort of not being obeyed or of feeling truly you know disempowered in a way that like it might have actually cured mm-hmm. some of this like reactivity because sure. like the mm-hmm. world does not allow people to be so reactive. Yeah. And, but and she gets away with successful. it because of the fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just all looked very lonely. It all looked really, really like lonely for every character. Even like mm-hmm. her, I forget yeah. that, uh, whoever like the Who's the only person they gave prosthetics to? The um, yeah, her, they gave they gave uh, her. It was it her maid or her her assistant? Her, assistant. her nanny, her like her 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 her, la- her chambermaid. Yes, it's like the only person <laughs> that like has been with her forever, and the only person that didn't get fired is the only one in the movie that gets prosthetics. She got gets, prosthetics. Like, yeah, they gave uh, Faye Dunaway that weird like wrinkly makeup, like yeah. paint that like sticky goo that like wrinkles your skin. Yeah, but she still looked beautiful. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. she still looks stunning. But it, yeah, but everyone just looked lonely, and it was like, oh yeah, this really looks. Everyone like a loses. Prison. Yeah, everyone yeah. loses. It's it's really uh, hard to watch. Yeah, hard, and yet again, I think that like for again, well, I think why I picked this movie is because as difficult as it was to watch, I also and if you have any relationship to any child abuse, you definitely should not watch it. But it yes, definitely opened don't. my heart. Um, expanded kind of my heart space because it really forced me to have empathy for everybody in that situation and kind of think about my own family and like the adults in my life and and again intergenerational trauma and like Mm -hmm. trying to see where it might come from and why it might come why it might happen and and how can I be um, how can I not repeat those mistakes if you will right Um, and how can I also forgive Right? Can how can I see where it comes from and and enact forgiveness to anyone who might have done wrong by me? I was not abused, but you know what I'm saying. Like in right. life, I'm not saying Christina sure, should do yeah. that. You know, again, these are really extremes, but the extremity of this movie, I think, dug up some new questions and some new 
um, desires of understanding, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and we do have, I mean, it is queer, it is, you know, gay canon. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is like a queer cult classic. It has really been upheld and like still has this life because of queer people. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. And we do know that like queer people are more likely to be victims of abuse. Mm -hmm. They are more likely to be harmed in childhood. And queer people love you know, uh, a leading lady and her yes. troubles. And so like a wealthy really leading lady, a wealthy <laughs> leading lady with some, with some bomb towns makeup and a very intense uh, beauty regimen. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. That's how the movie starts. She I forgot about was that. Very yeah. Much, oh yeah. Very she was much an like, alcoholic. Yeah. In the, portrayed in the movie at least. Mm-hmm. So it's just, again, like no wins. Like it was just like this, you're fi- like everyone in this movie to me is fighting for their life. Yeah. Not well, but just like you're you're watching. I mean, that scene with her, um, I think it's after she got fired from the studio and she's in the rose bush and she wakes them up yes. in the middle of the night. And but like the way that it's portrayed of her, like cutting these rose branches, you're like, you're fighting like she is fighting for her life. Yeah. Not well yeah. again, but just like that is that is somebody who is like deeply afraid. She's yeah, scared everyone's in survival mode. Yes, yeah. survival mode. And then you have these kids who have to be in survival mode, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like you're watching everyone in survival mode, really, in this movie to me. Which yeah. sort of leads me to some of what I think, you know, diagnostically, what we see from this character. I like that you sort of name this as survival mode. And so, like, I definitely think we've talked about this in previous episodes. We're talking about it again today. This feels like a portrayal of. Uh, borderline personality disorder yeah um and i really like the just the use the idea of survival mode so the way that we've talked about borderline personality disorder is sort of just a lower threshold to high levels of reactivity that threshold can be low in terms of joy and excitement that threshold can be low in terms of rage in terms of anger in terms of this survival like fight or flight Mm. right where she Mm -hmm. really can flip a a switch and that sort of in this high level like I think the doesn't the tree thing happen the night that she won her Oscar the tree thing what's the tree thing her cutting all the bushes no I thought that was when she got fired from the studio the wire hangers was the night she won the Oscar that's right okay so while she's at these high levels of of emotion it sort of takes her to a place of uh, this kind of uh, very like high emotional liability that is a good mm-hmm. word for the pod. Emotional liability, meaning highly flexible emotions. Big, big, big swings. Um, mm-hmm. Big highs, big lows. Um, emotionally labile. Lots of ups and downs. So, um, yeah. And so I do think that the easiest explanation for like, okay, clinical psychologist here. This does look like borderline personality disorder. We do yeah. see a little hint here and there of some like uh, obsessiveness when it comes to the cleaning, when it comes to yes. her skincare routine. When it comes to some of that, we don't get enough. And I would say, like, you know, this actually feels a little more like obsessive-compulsive personality disorder rather than obsessive-compulsive disorder because it doesn't seem to give her distress to maintain Mm -hmm. this obsessive level of, like, Mm. cleanliness, this obsessive level of her beauty routine. It actually seems to feel really containing to her. Mm. So the thing Mm -hmm. where everybody's like, oh, no, I just want to have all my pencils lined up or, oh, no, I just like to have everything a certain way and it makes me feel good, that's not OCD. OCD makes you feel bad all the time. OCD is mm-hmm. one of the most painful and emotionally like overwhelming disorders. 
Um, OCPD is when people are like, oh, I'm just super, super, super type A. Mm. Uh, not necessarily everybody who is type A has OCPD. But if it is to the extent where it is like alienating everybody around you for you to be this level of type A, i.e. like shaming your maid to her face about mm-hmm. moving the pot, that feels like OCPD. Um, and so maybe if we saw more generality, this is again the thing where it's like, I'm not treating her. I don't know. Right. Also, Christina wasn't alive when this happened. So like she right. wrote the book. So yeah. who knows? Um, she was not around for her beauty regimen. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where I'm sitting. Thoughts, reactions, feelings? That's, that is what jumped out at me was uh, borderline. But, there, you know, there's these themes of, you know, these like complicated mother-daughter relationships, right? Because Christopher mm-hmm. is like kind of largely ignored. There's also... Um, substance abuse with Joan's um, alcoholism. And then I also saw themes of like codependency because you see Christina, like she acts out, she knows that she's being abused. Oh, yeah. But she, there's also this deep desire, again, because she is in survival mode to yeah. do the right thing, there's to do the perfect thing. Going mm-hmm. on there. And, and trying to make her mother happy. And, you know, there's there so there's a a lot of those kinds of I mean, even into adulthood you see her struggle kind of back and forth between like what will make my mom proud of me versus like I'm so unhappy you know, like I'm being abused and this is not okay. Mm-hmm. So I saw some like codependency stuff too and her kind of really having to like walk on eggshells around Jump. Yeah. Totally. I think that's also why the movie jumped out to me as well. The mother daughter of it all, because mm-hmm. you do see that struggle of defiance, but also still wanting her mother's love. And I think exactly. a lot of us can relate to that where like we have parents who are not maybe the best. And yet it doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean yeah. that we don't yearn for them to be better. Oh, absolutely. And like the, the real struggle to create a boundary, which I don't think Christina ever really got to, at least in the movie. Right. But it's like, I really, uh, I think I really related or understood or felt for her in that, and that like you yeah. could you could experience these like wild. I mean, I, I'll share. Which I this is not a uh, secret. I was in an emotionally abusive relationship for about two years, and that was tricky because you keep always wanting to see the good side, right? You keep always yeah. remembering when they're nice and when yeah. they're wonderful, yeah. And you forget the like abusive and the, the 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 rage and the anger, and you're constantly fighting to get back. And you know, with this partner, I was obviously uh, eventually able to cut it off, but I can't imagine what it's like when it's your parent, right? Like when mm-hmm. it's your mother, right. or when it's your father, or when it's right. your sibling, when it's somebody that like you've grown up. The quote unquote nurturing you were like just been a part of your entire life, and you're also signaled around every, societally that like your parents are the most important thing, and family is the most important thing, and everyone has a mom and a dad and whatever. And so when you're also seeing that messaging, and you're you're just trying to get your mom to be what I always say like the the, the family matters mom, right? You're trying to get like your your Harriet Winslow. Harriet, <laughs> you know, like, you're, like, you're, like I mean, that was the thing as a kid, like really like always trying to get like the the sitcom family the like yeah. that you know that multicam family and having to reckon with oh your family is not that or your life is not that but you're still you're still fighting for it and i felt like christina was still fighting to for get sure. to you know the soft mom to mommy dearest like when she is i mean even yeah. yeah at the end when she like at the funeral and 
what's the assistant's name like Carrie? We keep forgetting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so she's saying like, you know, your mother loved you so much and she's like, I need to believe that. Like yeah. I yeah. need so very badly to believe yes. that. Yeah. And that's how she wants to kind of remember her mom. I mean, that is such a huge part of their dynamic is her knowing she has to choose to believe that. Yeah. Cause the because the actions are not showing that and yet you do like yeah you want to like it would suck to be like my mom doesn't love me like that like right. that reality right. seems far more crushing than like trying to like figure out and like you know make up a even if it's delusional or whatever but like make up a different reality well and that's the mm-hmm. thing with this like anxious or insecure attachment style too is like it means that like when it's good it's so good mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. even when it is good you're so worried about the time it's not going to be good but you're like right. and it's one of those things where um you know, and especially with somebody who is a movie star and like you have to believe that there was something special about being in the presence of this woman yeah. and especially mm-hmm. when the whole world is it and then and then, then to have that woman's attention on you in a oh. good way. Oh yeah. I mean, listen. Probably felt on top of the world. Must be incredible, yeah. but it's one of those things where like when the sun is shining on you, you are joyful and warm and mm-hmm. when the sun is not shining, it is dark and As cold. Fuck. And it felt dark yeah. in that house, but like but I understand the chase cuz you're like it's there. It's that I know that the sun is there, and so like you're just always constantly chasing it, and totally. I think it's a lifelong chase. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. you know, until you, until you decide, which I think again, our generation probably has the that language now to be like, you know, this person is that person, and I got to make a boundary. But like boundaries is something we've been talking about for the last two years, really, in like a in like a zeitgeist way, like right? People, we're mm-hmm. still last year needing explanation of like what is a boundary. So right. now think about like Christina Crawford. She don't know what the fuck a boundary is. But also like boundaries with parents are the trickiest I think oh. of all oh. yes. because parents Absolutely. really get to and and that's the one of the main things I see in working with folks when it comes to intergenerational trauma um is this boundary of a parent with borderline personality disorder oh. or a parent with just poor boundaries, right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. it's this idea of you putting up a limit to what I can have feels restrictive, abusive, aggressive, reactive. It feels unfair. And so a parent will really, really fight back. And it's one of these interesting things where like, um, you know, I think that reactivity is really key to like the idea of this like borderline expression, this borderline experience and that reactivity, you know, for her to anytime Christina had any kind of, limitation pushback it became an explosion that that all all um sort of boundary setting is seen as an act of aggression Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. required or led to retaliation yeah yeah even when she was a four or five-year-old child yeah Mm -hmm. um that was just so unbelievable that of course really that the peak violence is when she almost kills her uh and because she contradicted her in front of a reporter. So therefore the contradiction right. was an attack. Mm-hmm. That made me think about that scene, which was, I don't know if it was right. At, was it after wire hangers? But whatever, like there's a moment of abuse and then it's Christmas and you watch them do the radio. Yeah. Interview, yeah. 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 And Christina yeah. And Chris are I think perfection. it was the wire hangers. It was the wire hangers. It's, but it's like, that shit is scary. Cause it's like, they, she knows how to like Christina and Chris, like know how to swallow that thing. Like know how to push it down. And, like, and you see, perform. like, like 
Joan even those those smiles of approval throughout, even when she's talking to the reporter during oh, yeah. this Christmas thing throughout. And like I'm nervous for the kids when those Always. moments are happening. I'm like, yeah. are they gonna get it right? Like I feel even when Joan smiles, like, okay, they did it. Like I was so like in it, the emotional yes. experience. Yeah. I was I was <laughs> I wrote down in my notes like she, I hope she wins the Oscar because God for God, God help them forbid if she doesn't win the Oscar. And still, she wins the Oscar, and then comes the wire hanger scene. But it was like, right. it, like what happens if Joan doesn't win this fucking Oscar? You're, you're, I know, I know. And then she does. And also, she didn't go like, to the Oscars because she feigned illness. Oh. She was not sick, but she didn't go. I think because she didn't think she could handle. Uh, the rejection. That's a yeah, little bit of a wiki, so that's maybe oh, crossing a line. <laughs> but yeah, that is why the she listened on the radio, right, to the Oscars, and then the press was outside, and she did come out. She actually, apparently, according to the Wikipedia, brought the press into her bedroom where she was feeling ill, and was like, "Oh, thank you. You're all my my everything." Oh my uh, and they actually like allowed the press to come into her house to see that she was sitting in bed. I'm sick. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The survival Dang. of it all. Like the things that we do to try and make ourselves feel better or, or to avoid things. It's I mean, this like, is why I've just never become a movie star. Th- this is why. <laughs> it's the only reason. <laughs> this is the only reason. I just Otherwise, you'd like, be a movie star right now. You know, I mean, listen. So easy. Uh, listen, <laughs> it just seems like a lot. People seem to be really like getting in your business. Listen, that's well, that's a very again, private person. Thing, yeah, which <laughs> you can't be a movie star, but it is. It's like, listen, being a movie star by your. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep pressing this headphone. Oh, thing. it's totally fine. Um, being a movie star uh, is stressful, even if you're in therapy and have all your shit together, right? Like, it, like the idea yeah. of people knowing your business and like having access to you, having access to your family, wanting access, and people are not nice, right? Like, let's talk about trolling social media like handling that with resources and tools is already hard yeah to like have that with something that's undiagnosed without tools without the world having language having no space i can't like follow jd and be like well there's mental health right here like this is what's happening like literally no language is just a different that's why i'm like i feel bad for everyone involved it's like it's so lonely so isolated and and there's not because it's not happening to the fame piece of it is not happening to the uh, majority of society. There literally is like no support, like no one to really understand what that experience is of being in the studio, being a woman aging in Hollywood. Like there's not a lot of um, community to have either. So it's just like, damn, like this, like y'all really, y'all really did not have a shot at winning at all. I think the the woman part of it is really key, though, too, of like yeah. how we characterize women who are, you know, like e- expressing themselves this way versus men. Like mm-hmm. the research that I did was more on um, the history of like how we diagnose, Ooh, yeah, uh, like emotional instability in women, basically. Y'all buckle yes. up. And, you know, this starts with, we've talked a little bit about this, but it starts with this term called hysteria, mm-hmm. yes. right? And it starts with these physicians in the 17 and 1800s who are really, I mean, it is so blatantly sexist when they're describing it as you read it back. Like there's this um, person, Otto Weininger, uh, said that hysteria is the organic crisis of the organic mendacity of women. Wow. Mendacity is, is 
dishonesty and truthfulness. I mean, the um, mendacity of it all. Uh, uh, yeah. Like hysteria as the woman's natural state. Um, but if it's uh, in a man, it's a morbid state. So like really just the uh, the sexism built right in. Well, and the word hysteria, right? Think of like it's related to the uterus, a hysterectomy, right? It's, it is specific. Well, that was one of these like initial womanhood. treatments, yeah. right? Because hysteria was related to like sexual dysfunction or deprivation. Right. Um, and there's, you know several like physicians right. even freud got in on this of like this oh, this very. sexual deprivation aspect to it and so there's even that book about like how vibrators were invented yeah there's yeah. a whole was, and there's some like contesting over whether that account is true or not yeah. but like mesmer was really, doing a lot with who's yep, also mesmerism there's uh-huh. also just like bed rest like just straight rest whereas if men were you know diagnosed with something similar they would be uh, instructed to like do a lot of vigorous exercise, but women had to like, like stay in bed and do nothing. Um, there's also this other like disorder that they talk about called, um, what is it called? Uh, neurasthenia. Have you heard of that? No. So that was this other, like a nervous disorder. So like kind of medicalizing this hysteria, which is like, you know, this, this like, um, you know, like difficult, narcissistic, impressionable, suggestible, like egocentric, emotionally labile, like you were saying. Oh no, women um, who have, have self esteem and opinions. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, idle, like self indulgent, deceitful. Um, but then neurasthenia, which shared many of the symptoms of hysteria, was uh-huh. characterized by an ill defined set of symptoms and a form of nervous exhaustion. But really like the difference was they were having a refined and unselfish nature, being the kind of woman one likes to meet. They were sensible, not overly sensitive or emotional, exhibiting oh a proper a proper amount of illness <laughs> with a willingness, <laughs> exhibiting a proper amount of illness with a willingness to perform their share of work quietly yeah. and to the best of their yeah. ability. <laughs> okay. Right. And so this was like the nice way to be hysterical, I guess. I don't know, like the more like socially acceptable way. Um, but you know, politeness, she's like compliance. Crazy, but she's not a total bitch about it, right? Yes. Like politeness, politeness, Whoa. and compliance were like clearly essential oh, for yeah. distinguishing between these she two. She still diagnoses. knows her place. Yeah, <laughs> but these are really the precursors to things like borderline personality yeah, disorder, absolutely. as well as like um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder (PMDD). Yes. Well, so yeah, Woof. yeah, so. Um, but even, I mean, you might know more about this of like the DSM, right? Like not having, so hysteria was kind of a thing when the DSM came out, like it wasn't in there, but then there was histrionic yeah, personality there disorder. Yeah, there still is. That's still yeah. there. Histrionic then, is sort of an overly, like it's largely this like emotionally labile. Like I always think about it like, uh, I, you know, just like you grew up doing a lot of theater mm-hmm. and that very big, very dramatic personality mm-hmm. uh, is sort of typified in this like histrionic personality disorder. Um, very, there's a real, and uh, just a tendency toward the dramatique. Wow. So that was uh, yeah. in the DSM three and then it's still the there. DSM. Yeah. The DSM two yeah. was actually, so before histrionic, it was called hysterical personality disorder. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Listen, then, if yeah, it was then when a personality <laughs> disorder to be totally hysterical, then I'd have that one because I'm <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh 
<laughs> I know. Um, I'm gonna edit that out. Cancel, I'm sorry. Cancel. Yeah. <laughs> but the the way that they had in the DSM three the histrionic personality disorder, someone who is typically attractive and seductive. Yes. Overly concerned with physical attractiveness, yes. as well as interested in controlling the opposite sex or entering into a into a dependent relationship. Well, good um, news, gays are totally fine because they don't yikes. like. Thank God, yikes. it's only for the opposite sex. I love Ugh. these exclusive yikes. diagnoses. That's because gay was its own diagnosis. Sure, sure. right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like borderline personality, as we've also talked about before, it is more commonly applied to women than yeah. men, right? That's like yeah. rates of like three to one or seven to one, or like just multiple it's, times yeah. more um, in women. Um, but I mean, then I there's like also nine to one, like it's really That's out crazy. there Dang. for BPD. Dang. That's crazy. There's also this like um, with borderline personality disorder, they do add this like what they call more masculine characteristic of inappropriate intense anger. So they're like, Lol. no, it's fine. It's not just feminine. It's Stop. like has this anger part. These are angry women, and that's not okay. Um, so yeah, yes. this is. It's, there's also, but codependency. So I knew about this borderline personality disorder yeah. ties to hysteria, right? Yeah. But yeah, codependency yeah. was, uh, you know, it's this thing we hear about all the time, right? There's like codependent no more, that like really famous book, and like everyone's right. talking about their codependent tendencies and stuff. Right. It's very self-helpy, but codependency actually originated in the 1970s when they were doing like substance abuse, um, like treatment and like uh, dealing with with substance abuse. But it was primarily uh, for the like female spouses of men with with like chemical dependencies. And so that's where it originated from, which is why so many of the psychometric properties or like the definitions um, of which there is no like commonly agreed upon definition of codependency but the scales for like measuring codependency codependency often overlap with just like caregiving like like uh, characteristics sure. yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's it's like and so women naturally as like being socially programmed to be more nurturing and caregiving are gonna like score on the scale as codependent yeah, um, more than men, and so even that, like the Mommy's way they talked mom. about it, the way, yeah, the way wow. that they, uh, you know, uh, pathologize it is really like so much more biased towards women and being like, wow. it's not the man's fault that he has substance abuse; it's your fault for enabling him. Ugh. So, I mean, yeah, that's bonkers. I should also just add within this uh, sort of context that a lot of these diagnoses also. Um, before like the 70s uh, when they started to really re uh, and the 80s when they really started to go into like what's going on in these like state hospitals what's going on in this like restricted care a husband used to be able to have his wife essentially imprisoned indefinitely for mood dysregulation Mm -hmm. Um, and this was like until very recently, y'all, wow. where it literally and all, like was medical like, oh, no, procedures too, oh, right? That the lobotomies, like all yeah. of this stuff, like were were your husband was able to say, like, no, no, she's coming out of pocket. She's and too much for me. She's yeah. too much. Wow. She is not able to perform her duties as a wife, yeah. and therefore, so like when we think about even things like um, like Girl Interrupted, right? Like these movies mm-hmm. of like these institutions, like it's no joke. Like what was going on in these spaces? It's really 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 absurd but also like yeah. so shockingly recent 
It's like it's yeah. It's it's so it's so bizarre. But also and like it's not interesting. Right. I mean, look yeah. at what just happened with the Supreme Court. You know, I mean Right, exactly. It's just like a thing that men seem to love to fucking do. But it, I, I think, too, like, you know, talking about we have more of this language now to describe what's going on, being aware of the history of that language, because some of it has been, like, evolved over time to mm-hmm. mean something that, you know, we're we're trying to put words to that make sense now. But they're really derived from these, like, sexist, like, very, yeah. you know, dangerous kind of origins that may need to be reevaluated, I think. Definitely. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's so. So the thing that I was super like drawn to look into within this as well is this sort of like, okay, there is some real abuse in here, and there's some real, mm-hmm. you know, mental illness. So there's actually very little uh, research into um, diagnoses of the parents. Like, what sort of conditions do abusive parents have? There's not mm. a lot of research. And I also want to say, this is not to say every parent with borderline personality disorder is abusive, right? right. Uh, similar, we've talked a lot, actually, if y'all go back and listen to, I think it was the um, Breakfast at Tiffany's episode, or like some of the other episodes, we've talked about borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. more than once. And we mm-hmm. look at this sort of idea that like, okay, this also is a label that is thrown at people that... Um, is so deeply stigmatized. So I want to give the caveat that, like, as we say this, this is not to say um, everyone who has borderline personality disorder is abusive, will be abusive, has been abused, right? There's so many ways that, like, we can pathologize this. But there is a little bit of research on uh, abuse within uh, families with a, with a parent with borderline personality disorder. And so, um, you know, things to things to be mindful of, right? There are lots of things that increase a person's risk for abusing a child, right? A history of abuse, that's sort of the famous thing, right? When you hear about somebody abusing, it's like, oh, but were they abused, right? Okay, this is a, this is a risk factor. A, a substance use disorder, risk factor. Um, things like PTSD, other mental health conditions, risk factor, right? Essentially things that are going to make somebody more reactive, right? Um, socioeconomic stress, um, lack of understanding of child development, a lack of parenting skills, right? A lot of people really, truly don't understand a lot of these things. And so even just having the knowledge, I remember in my developmental psych class, my professor saying like, hey, shaken baby syndrome is a thing, is not a thing because it's uncommon, right? And so this idea of really understanding how to protect your own mental health while caring for a child and also how to protect a child while in this sort of thing, right? Because as you are sleep deprived, especially with like infants and things like that, right? There are all sorts of things that happen. And I remember my my incredible developmental psych professor in my master's program being like, there was a day that I just remember saying, it is safer for my child to cry in her crib and for me to take a shower because I am worried (laughs) about what will happen (laughs) if I go in that room to that baby. And I think it was such like an incredible, like, sensitive but also like vulnerable thing to say where it was like I thought about shaking my baby wow (laughs) yeah yeah um you were gonna say no nothing okay so then um you know other things low self-confidence uh incompetence shame right this we're sort of seeing a little bit with with uh little miss joan here Mm -hmm. um so you know this Borderline personality disorder is really seen as like a pattern of emotional lability, stormy relationships, uncontrollable anger, poor impulse control, um, you know, identity, cognitive disturbances, and often things like suicidal behavior. 
Um, and so this often means that people are going to have a whole host of negative outcomes, social outcomes, life outcomes, job outcomes, right? If you are super reactive, you're less likely to have financial stability. You're less likely to have relational stability. You're less mm -hmm. likely to have housing stability if your landlord comes and says you need to be quiet and then you scream at your landlord until you get evicted, right? There's mm -hmm. all sorts of ways that this can disrupt the sort of um, stability of your life. Um, family diagnoses have found that, uh, that borderline personality is essentially highly heritable, uh, not just uh, in terms of behaviorally, meaning being raised in a household with borderline personality disorder, but being the child of somebody with borderline personality disorder and raised in other households, uh, which so we like see genetically. through adoption studies, there is, uh, so there's a really high genetic component. This looks in, uh, this really sits with the idea of like epigenetics, right? Your body keeps mm -hmm. the score. The stress mm -hmm. of your body, right? Like, I, I think it's, um, you know, so important to realize that like the you know, for, for a, uh, an AFAB child that has eggs within her, the stress that she has is impacting those eggs and those children are already there, right? Like these kinds of things. So yeah. epigenetics is so, so, so easy to see, especially when it comes to things like trauma. There is lots and lots of history. So um, I found a study that kind of looked at parenting skills. Um, and it was important to me when, I, when we looked into this research to give some like bright side, right? To give some actual like, okay, what can we actually do about this? Rather than mm -hmm. being like, oh, people with borderline personality disorder are bad parents. That is not true. But again, mm -hmm. just like we said at the beginning, borderline personality disorder is not your fault. It is your burden. Mm. And it is something that you have the power to seek care for, to seek, um, you know, even just uh, finding and building relationships with people where you're like, hey, I need you to be there. I need you to tell me when I'm when I'm, re when I'm overly reactive and I trust you and I love you enough to have that sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So within the, I, I found a great meta-analysis that essentially found that, um, you know, psychoeducation, so learning about borderline personality disorder, learning about cycles of, of abuse, consistency in your scheduling, your monitoring, and how you react with these, child, these children, consistency in warmth and nurturance, and then application of things like mindfulness-based parenting strategies. Um, I did a, a, I did a book chapter years and years and years ago. I was one of the authors on a book chapter about um, outcomes uh, when it came to uh, corporal punishment and like physical um, physical punishment for children. And actually, a lot of the research says that uh, when it comes to things like spanking, when it comes to physical punishment for children, that actually, cause, which is very culturally uh, specific, right? There are lots yeah. of very normative spaces where culturally, like, you know, a spanking or a belt or a non- um, physically traumatic uh, injury to a child that's that usually is depicted uh, means like doesn't leave a mark lasting more than 24 hours uh, is how like the the abuse reporting and stuff would look at it but um, if the child understands why the punishment is happening and also can understand in advance if I do this I will get spanked uh, it actually does not have negative outcomes in the long term if a child oh, doesn't understand why they're being Whoa. harmed doesn't understand when the harm will come and doesn't understand the sort of intensity or duration of sure. the physical punishment, that is where the trauma sits, oh, right? Yeah. If I play with matches, I'm going to get, when I was a kid, it was, I'm going to get a whooping, right? Like yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get spanked. Yeah. That does not actually disrupt a child's sense of safety because they mm. understand the sort of sequence of events. The consequences. Right. Yeah. They understand right. it as a consequence of their behavior right. rather than what you see depicted in this film, right? Where, of course, she's never able to predict the level yeah. of right. reactivity right. Yeah. that her, her mother will Oof. have. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, childhood maltreatment is associated with all sorts of things, f- psychological, physical, um, you know, psychiatric, uh, depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, eating disorders. Also, a lot of, like, physical health, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, chronic mm. fatigue syndrome, IBS, right? The way your body is holding stress is, you know, unending, right? The, a, mm. a lot of people experience predominantly physical symptoms yeah. of anxiety. Predominant. I had a, I had a client recently who just went on, uh, who came in for um, anxiety, just got on uh, SSRIs through a psychiatrist, and she was like, I didn't even tell you this. I, like, as soon as the med kicked in, my stomach aches went away. Mm. She was like, I've been having stomach aches this whole time. Wild, but because yeah. she, Because I'm her therapist, she yeah, didn't yeah. tell me about stomach aches. Yes. Right? right? So, like, this is very, very normal. So, like, just really being mindful of, like, how important it is if this is something you feel uh, at risk for if you feel like um, you know may apply to you if you're like uh oh how am I going to take care of a kid taking care of a kid is hard you are on yes. your last nerve yeah and that is so important to be mindful of like great how do I set myself up so things like just like I said mindfulness is huge education is huge engaging with a therapist or engaging in a community of parents where you can sort of mm. feel safe yeah feel heard yeah your community um yeah. And then, you know, there, so child abuse also has, uh, actually has six categories. So physical abuse, uh, hitting, striking, um, sexual abuse. Um, also, I should name the outcomes of uh, the, the study that I, that I was looking at in terms of the, all the negative outcomes actually shows that physical and sexual abuse, you can't really differentiate. But um, uh, abuse itself can be totally differentiated and partialed out to be a very effective or, you know, a very significant impactor on the long-term health of children, even in terms of like um, financial stability, housing stability, like all of these other things that may have long-term consequences on a kid and may cause stress. Abuse, uh, you're able to demonstrate an effect above and beyond everything else. So mm-hmm. abuse, it is really, really important to say, like we have a lot of data that shows that. Um, but yeah, so physical, sexual, emotional abuse, right? Belittling, demeaning, yelling, withholding, right? A lot of what we see here in this movie um, and then uh, medical abuse, denying medical services, uh, and neglect. So withholding or failing to provide care. And then the very last one uh, is also exposure, meaning exposure to the outside, locking your child out of a house uh, and exposing your child to too much heat, too much, you know, too much snow, too much cold, all of those things. Exposure is the, is the sixth kind of abuse. Um, and, yeah, thoughts, feelings, reactions, y'all? Woo woo! <laughs> yeah, I'm still blown away by like the the chapter that you're talking about about like how the abuse like maybe uh, again like non uh, like forms of abuse that like last longer than 24 hours or whatever. Yeah, uh, that if they are predictable and like logical, that they right. aren't necessarily associated with long term like. Um, like negative impacts to mental health and physical health. Like that's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, and there's so, it is so specific within families, right? That like how this uh, physical corporal punishment kind of works. And, and, you know, we have generations of people who grew up with corporal physical punishment as like the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like it, it really does weigh out that as long as the child understands kind of the cause and effect um, and understands that this is um, specific to, and usually, um, you know, ideally would be proportionate 
too. Um, I will say, like, one of the things that they recommend, like, uh, you know, f- obviously very few – I'm not endorsing corporal physical punishment of children. <laughs> right. Let's name that right here. Um, this was purely a study on outcomes, right? And so all mm-hmm. we could say within this chapter that we wrote was that the studies that show outcomes show that if the child understands the uh, sequelae uh, of the action – to the consequence that it does not cause an emotional disturbance within the child long-term that, that right. weighs out uh, into adulthood. Right. I mean, That's I was a kid who was spanked. Um, I, I was not recklessly spanked. I knew when I was spanked, I got spanked because I did a thing that was usually, in my case, I did something dangerous. And yeah. my parents, that was when, uh, when it was made very clear that this was not... Okay, that example of playing with matches in the house was not hypothetical. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this, this, um, the studies, though, really do show that. And I think, you know, again, corporal physical punishment is the norm around, around the world, more so yeah. than, the, than the exception. For sure. Fascinating. Yes. Very fascinating. And, and a really, I, hopefully, a very clear difference from what you see in this, like, extreme level of abuse. Um, that this was not, oh, I'm I'm a nun. I'm going to wrap your knuckles with a ruler. Although a lot of people have a lot of real trauma from nuns and and school. Ooh, and, yeah. and again, that's also not to say that some of the kids who experience corporal physical punishment, regardless of knowledge of consequence and understanding the sequence, like still experience trauma from this. Um, yeah. It's real. You don't get to pick what's traumatic. Is the thing. It's just uh, so devastating and heartbreaking how much control is just wrapped up in that like this idea that a kid you know you a child is born doesn't know what the fuck is happening um and because there's unchecked whatever in an adult mm-hmm. that it results in abuse like this like innocent being kind of having to navigate uh, an adult's inability to articulate the emotions going on or, or whatever's going on. It's just such a, uh, a devastating cycle where everyone loses. And that's yeah. really so painful. It's, I mean, know? being a person is so fucking hard. It's hard. Being a human is so fucking hard. Um, and then having to teach another human how to be a human is also really hard and you know we talk about this all the time like there's no you know as, a, as, as somebody who's in a who's gay and you know in a queer relationship you know we can choose when we have a child like there's going to be a whole process of it um but I, you know i was born not by choice like it was like a thing that happened and i you know i had a kid or i, I was my you mom had were me. a kid i was a kid um but it's like there was no checking of like, you know, whether or not, and my mom, great mother, but like no checking about whether or not she was mentally ready to have a kid and like what that would mean and what she would have to address. And kind of by luck of the draw, I was born into a family where I didn't have an abusive parent because I, you know, whatever. But, right. But I could just have easily had because there's not, mm-hmm. there's not a value on our society for people to like really do their work. You know, that's not, that's not a thing that we value. Um, quite yet and I hope it is something that we do I hope that our generation and the generations to come really begin to value what it is to be a human and how to be 
a good one, you know, and how to like work on your shit and heal your shit so you don't end up passing that shit down to your kids or reacting to someone who's just trying to figure it out. Like, yeah. Even like, you know, like even with like, you know, I was Caribbean household, you know, even being spanked, but like there's not an awareness of like, oh, well, it's a five year old just trying to figure some shit out. Right. Like, is right. there another way for me to have a conversation with this? this being that's been here for five fucking years and that's it. You know, like I wish there was more of that language. Um, and I hope that I hope we're shifting culturally to that. I hope, I I hope, I mean, there's so much ego in Mm -hmm. parenting Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. not, uh, that's not a read, right? Like parents care so much about Mm -hmm. their children that when a child tells a parent that they've done something wrong, Mm -hmm. the first reaction is most likely defensiveness, right? (laughs) Yes. Denial where it's like, you don't know what, like you don't know how hard I've worked for you. You don't know how much I've sacrificed rather than being like, Oh, I love you. And I did not mean for you to feel sad. Let's sit together and figure out a a place that we can both hold what happened here. And that is like, the rarest most you know like that is not a a typical thing right which is why I often like working with like queer students or just working with like work with a lot of like 18 to 22 year olds and talking to them about how to talk to their parents about how to talk to them yeah is so difficult to say like Mm -hmm. hey mom dad when you say this to me this is how it feels I don't need you to I don't even need you to apologize I just need you to hear me I just need you to hear what's being said and it's so hard because parents love us so much that when we tell them they have hurt us they are like fuck you no I didn't well parenting is so <laughs> understood as ownership right there's a song it's a I think it's a poem actually but I know it is a song from Sweet Honey and the Rock which is like your children are not your children they come through you but they are not of you or they're not yeah, yours, basically that's beautiful and it's like there's not this understanding that like a child is its own individual like that I have this that we are all individuals and it's my responsibility as a parent to bring out whatever it is that is in this individual as opposed to I think a lot of us are raised as like we are a representation of this family we are owned by this family and so we decide to you know I think queer kids feel this all the time when you decide to like be yourself then you're reprimanded then you're like put back into your place and there's not an understanding that like as a parent it's not your job to control it's your right. job to like bring forth to, to love out, and to, to listen love, to support to protect um, and it's really devastating you know watching the movie like watching a child in a in a place where they're not being protected yeah you know, where, right. where, where where that thing just doesn't exist that should be there which is yeah. like you're protected here you're safe at, if you can't be safe at home you know like how devastating well and that's the thing is like a lot of parents make home unsafe because they believe the world is unsafe, which mm-hmm. is sort of what Joan does in this film, right? I was actually mm-hmm. talking to a very, uh, a very uh, oh, just a wonderful uh, queer uh, client who was like, my parents are trying to tell me to kind of suck it up about my pronouns in the world mm-hmm. because, and, and so I sort of reflected with them. I was like, well, it sounds like your parents are trying to do the thing where they're like, what if I fix you? Because I can't fix the world, so I'm going to change you. Yeah. And right. this, the yeah. client was just like, ew. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not no. Yeah. But yeah, but it's that thing, right? Or like the, a really common thing is like when a, when a client or when a student comes to, or when a child comes to a parent and says, I have depression. And a parent is like, what do you have to be depressed about? Oh, yes. Right. What? You have nothing to be depressed about. Oh, yes. It, yeah, they, yeah. It's this like invalidation. It's this like, no. You're wrong. Yeah. You don't feel that. 
Which is such a which goes back to the ego, like what did I do? Exactly. You know, what did I do to make you depressed? What did I do to exactly. make you gay? What did I do to whatever? And it's like, no, 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 no. Like it, this should be a safe space to like be validated. Yeah. Be it's hard to do though. And even it, it happens within relationships, it happens mm-hmm. within friendships. I remember like one of the first examples of like somebody like just a really bad apology. I remember in high school, one one of my best friends who I loved dearly, I knew loved me dearly, like did something that like hurt my feelings. And I remember her like being like, Sarah, you really hurt my feelings. And she goes, Ugh, I'm sorry. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, like I just remember looking at it being like, here's the thing. I think you are sorry. But I think the idea that you hurt me is so absurd to you because you love me so much mm-hmm. that that you have to apologize to me by yelling at me because right. I am now basically by saying you have hurt me. That's so hurtful to you to hear that you have done something against your beliefs and values and against me that that you are now reactive right it's that thing it's any act you know anything that is contradictory any boundary now feels like an act of aggression so me right. sharing my pain feels like an attack well it gets right. translated as i'm bad right i'm like, bad I'm, if i go to my parents it's your fault yeah. it gets translated as well i'm a bad parent as opposed yeah. to no my kid just has is just depressed my kid and is like, sad let me ask yeah. questions about how i can support but we take these things as like oh, you're saying I'm bad, and then we react from that, and we get defensive as opposed to being like, no, I just I just said something that was wrong, and somebody's right. telling me that I, I hurt them, and yeah. I can apologize. It's just an oops. It's just so an it's ouch. It's an oopsies. It's an ouch. It's an oopsies. Nothing is at stake here except, you know, just like a, a chance for me to show you that I love you even more. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's this, yeah. it's, we've talked about this before on the pod. It's a dialectic, right? Two opposite things can be true you can both love me and hurt me yeah both can exist which is why dialectical behavior therapy is the main treatment for borderline personality disorder right because (laughs) you're not a borderline personality disorder struggles with holding two truths at once Mm. right so it's that that's why the reactivity is so big and extreme is because when Mm -hmm. something comes in that now is only seen as an act of aggression as an attack as as harmful rather than being like, oh, this person is hurt and therefore they are contradicting me. This person is this and that at once, which is why it's called dialectical behavior therapy. The goal is to sort of use mindfulness to hold two opposite truths. Your child can love you and feel hurt by, can feel loved by you and feel hurt by you at the same time. That's probably why I was also drawn to this movie because I've really been talking a lot about like, Things aren't black and white. They're gray. Right. Where did this thing go? I can't hear you anymore, Joanna, but I can speak. (laughs) I can just keep talking. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like this idea that like um, I think in stepping into my adulthood and I'm 35, which I've said like 15 times now. You're really um, struggling with that. Really? really, really, It's been a transformative. Your own defensiveness, your own denial is really coming through. You You did have a birthday recently. I did have a birthday recently and it's that, I mean, every birthday for me is reflective, but it's that thing of like, oh, bitch, like you are grown. Like if you fuck up, like you're, you're the adult, like there is no parent here. But this, but in, in stepping in and owning my adulthood, it's, and forgiving a lot of things that I've done and other people have done it's been a lot of like things are not black and white it's not this and that there's going to be gray there's going to be this thing where like two truths get to coexist and i think this movie is two truths and a lie two truths and a lie um that's what this movie is really reflecting is like a lot of things get to coexist like 
she could be this abusive parent who like you still love and still would oh that scene where she talks to the Pepsi people I was rooting for her when she said don't fuck with me fellas I was I found myself rooting yes. for the quote unquote monster of the movie like these she, yes. like I was like that's a badass woman yes. sitting at this board table with all these men and being like no fuck y'all like I'm the reason whatever like so these the movie I think has a lot of a lot of gray a lot of coexisting a lot of uh, two things existing at once which mm-hmm. is I mean know, when the sun is shining on you it's awful warm that sun is also a flaming hot yes, ball of yes, fire. Yes, yes, <laughs> you know? very much, very much. That can yeah. burn the fuck out of you. So yeah, it's a. Um, I think in this life of um, reckoning with our traumas and healing from it, having to make peace with the fact that multiple things will be true, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, that multiple things get to coexist. Yes, and, like you can love a parent who hurt you. And you don't have to feel shame about that. Like that, that's, yeah. that's a real thing. It's so real everyone real. should do uh, dialectical behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. I yeah. mean, DBT is pretty cool. Um, yeah. It's, it's particularly it. good and cool for people who are like highly emotionally reactive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like mindfulness is such a great skill to integrate when you're like, Ooh, I'm super dysregulated. I'm super upset. I'm very emotionally labile. Trivia word of the I of the week. Yeah. Um, and now you do. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, when you're like super in your emotionality, like how do you be mindful and really check in with like, okay, what's actually happening here? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, like m- mindfulness is creating distance, right? Because yeah. thoughts are not actions. Emotions right. are not actions right. and behavior. So like feeling your feelings, which are uh, momentary. They, you know, they're different from mood. They are things that pass and creating space for yourself to observe those feelings and then make different choices or make a uh, a choice of how you want to react to that. That's what yeah. mindfulness is. It's the yeah. space, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I do want to leave one last little bit of information before we finish, which is how to report child abuse. Mm. Um, so I would say the last option, uh, and I'm going to say it first, but it is the last resort here is calling the police. Um, if you fear a child's life, uh, okay, call the police. I always say, be really mindful. If you're calling the police on people of color, if you're calling the police on anybody, just be really mindful. Um, I think the first thing often is to call the child help, uh, the national child abuse hotline. Um, they can help you find organizations in your area. That number is one 800 Four A child number four letter A child, um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. They have an online twenty four seven chat. Um, also, uh, you can go to the um, uh, Prevent Child Abuse America, which is its own website. Um, and then there's Child Protective Services. Uh, child Protective Services, I will say, I have to report to uh, as a mandated reporter. It's what, as a therapist, I'm, I am required by law when I learn about um, risk of, of any of the six types of abuse for a child, uh, an elder or an adult with disabilities that I do have to report. Well, actually, some of it is Adult Protective Services. But I will say, like, Child Protective Services will also do something for you where they let you consult. And you can say, like, hey, is this something that needs to be reported? And they'll tell you yes or no, and that can be really helpful. Um, I have had actually pretty positive experiences, at least in – I've only ever reported in, in L.A. County, but where uh, 
even if what happens is they just put a, f- a flag on the file, right? All they may do, they may not go and they may not interrupt this family, they may not change anything, but there's a note. And then if there's another note, now you've got a case, right? You've got a mm-hmm. file. And so um, I, I think if you're not a mandated reporter, obviously you're probably not gonna be calling DCFS. I would use those other resources first. But um, I will say if you are out there and you're a mandated reporter, like it, it can feel scary and, and worrisome and harmful. And I definitely um, sort of navigate some of this with my clients where it's like, okay, let's think of how much you would have to tell me about your past history or what details are reportable. But um, mostly DCFS does a really good job of trying to keep kids safe. Um, and so that is really, really important. Um, but yeah, think, you know, if you see something, um, you know, look for resources and try to figure out how to hold it. Cause you do not need to hold that by yourself. I mm-hmm. am not the person that goes and intervenes in terms of, uh, cases. And in this, you know, we do see like some pretty serious bystanders where, you know, these children were exposed in the film. Again, we don't know that this, you know, we don't know the reality of all of it, but, um, there's a lot of people that knew this level of abuse was going on and didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's really huge and really important. Yeah. What a talk. Phew. Yeah. Phew. Uh, oh, yes, of course. This so is, where can this folks... is a good pick. This is an amazing pick. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Nothing to talk about. This has got to be one of our longest episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think it sure. is our longest one. Um, where, uh, well, I know you have some projects uh, coming up that you can plug a little bit, especially one in particular that I texted you about on oh, my book you got a book coming yeah, sorry. out i had to i'm sorry i'm touching my nipple because i had to get my nipple piercing re-put in and so she's a little tender <laughs> okay to talk about I'm yeah okay. i mean listen this is, <laughs> this is a safe space at this way we've talked about so much that's light um, <laughs> i have a book coming out september 27th called you gotta be you yes um, it's a part a memoir part self-help um, I say a guidebook to self-love. So it's basically these stories that I'm telling about um, race, gender, sexuality, and their intersections, and basically how I learned to love my identity. Um, it's the book that I wish I had growing up as a queer person, um, and the book that I hope will articulate you know, the experiences of queer people, especially POC. Um, and for those who are not queer or not POC or black, I hope that it'll give you insight into what the people in your life who do identify in that way are experiencing um, and ways to support and love and value each other. Yes. Amazing. I cannot wait to read this book. Yes. Pre-order, honey. Pre-order. I I will do that very thing. Um, And uh, I mean, also like, why don't we just have folks like, you know, Watch Human Resources on Netflix. Please, Human so Resources, good. Big Mouth. Big very, Mouth, where you are a writer health. and a voice. Yes, 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 yes. Voice yeah. of a Nation, this voice one. Nation, <laughs> Walter the Love Bug. Walter yeah. the Love Bug. For those who have already seen Human Resources, that is the voice you have been that hearing is, this whole yeah. time. This entire time, a love bug. This entire time. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. We'd love to have you back another oh, time. Anytime. Definitely. Next time, Sister Act 2, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> a little lighter. Yeah. <laughs> lighter film. His eye is on the, your nipple. The, oh, yes. Oh, my God. I know, you. right? Blessings. Under his eye. Under his eye. Um, all right. I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Witkin. This has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych. So please rate, review, subscribe. Tell, Tell a, friend. a friend. Tell, Tell two, two friends. friends. <laughs> uh, we love you. 
And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.